if you invested an entire year or a half a year and prospectively your return could be $300,000, is it worth it to you? The big answer is a big yes to that. And these fraudsters, they know that. So they engage in social engineering. They engage in really doing their homework about who you are to, again, mirror who you are and try to gain that level of familiarity. So your guard is let down. And then all of a sudden you look over your shoulder and you're like, oh, I'm talking to this person for the last 30 days. And now they're saying, I love you all of a sudden. When a victim is absolutely sure that the scammer is in love with them, or that they're going to get a new job and be famous. What does it take to stop the scam? Scam Rangers, a podcast about the human side of fraud and the people who are on a mission to protect us. I'm your host, Ayelet Bigger-Levine, and I'm passionate about driving awareness and solving this problem. Welcome to episode seven of Scam Rangers. Today's Scam Ranger has a very unique perspective of the scam life cycle. He's a private investigator who helps victims of online scams. He's actually called Superman at home by his family, and I learned that he only sleeps four hours a night. So I'm really excited about today's episode and looking forward to hearing from Chris. So Chris Salgado is a highly accomplished security and investigations leader with more than 20 years in cyber and physical investigations and general security. He's assisted several fortune-based companies, and between 2016 and 2019, he assisted in building and managing Facebook's Global Investigations Division and Intelligence Support Operation. While at Facebook, he was able to assist on sensitive matters, including Cambridge Analytica and the investigation on the election tempering of the 2019 U.S. presidential election. He's an expert in social engineering, and is a frequent speaker about topics that are extremely relevant to our podcast, such as romance scams, elderly fraud, child online safety, online investment fraud, cyber and physical investigations, counterfeits, cults, assessing and reducing online footprint, and other topics. Chris was also a keynote speaker at CrimeCon 2022, where he spoke on romance scams. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Ayala. Great. I'm really, really looking forward to our conversation today. So tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you become a private investigator and what is a day in the life for, for you with regards to scams? I left Facebook over to um, uh, my own company here in Florida, All Points Investigations, and we're doing a lot of cyber investigations. We do physical investigations across the globe too, but cyber heavy because of my stint at Facebook. So we're doing really hot and heavy cyber investigations, and we just started to inherit online kind of scams at large to include, as you indicated, romance scams, elderly scams, online fraud in general, and investment scams and uh, started talking about the topic to you know at various venues we're really enjoying what we're doing to help as many people as possible with as possible with our skill set so what does a day in a life look like for you you get a phone call in sure so we we do various types of investigations for individuals and fortune-based companies like you mentioned so the spectrum of types of investigations that we engage upon really runs the gamut um, the only thing we really don't do is domestics, cheating spouses, stuff like that, but pretty much everything else under the sun we uh, can do and engage upon. So we can get a call from a fortune-based company saying, hey, our C-suite team member is uh, missing. We need to figure out where that person is. 
they were last seen, you know, 24, 48, 72 hours ago, whatever it is. Um, or we can go into kind of same origin of the customer is their C-suite member has been threatened online, maybe like through Instagram or Twitter, whatever platform it is uh, from somebody that they know don't know about saying, hey, I hate you. I hate your company. I want to kill you at the end of the day. If you don't believe me, here's your home address, right? And they blast their home address online, basically doxing them. So we'll engage upon the bad actor, the author of that post, and try to identify who they are and assess the threat level. Is it a real threat prospectively, such as, you know, a, a 30-year-old adult male licensed with uh, five different rifles or something like that, and they're in the state of the C-suite person? Or is it some 12-year-old kid in the Netherlands that we kind of really don't put a higher level of threat on, right? If our client, for instance, is located in New York. So we'll do that. And then we'll also circle back and do what you touched upon, trying to do like an assessment of how we got there, how the victim or C-suite person got there. You know, how did this person find out your home address? How did they identify you? And we'll act as their kind of cyber stalker and put together a dossier on how exposed they are online to say, hey, your home address is here. You've got pictures of your kids. You've got pictures of your kids standing in front of their elementary school on day one of school, right? Everyone's excited about that. We see a lot of those photos. It's a big no-no. You should not be doing that. I mean, it's super great. You're thrilled. Your kids are thrilled, but don't take a photo of them in front of school. It tells everybody exactly um, where they go to school. Um, so we'll, we'll do that and try to mitigate the online exposure level of our clients and help them out to negate hopefully is another episode from occurring and then certainly we get the calls for romance scams like we're talking about here um, you know my mother is elderly she's in her 60s or 70s and i'm convinced that she's being scammed but she won't listen chris can you unroll an unbiased third-party investigation to assemble you know who we're dealing with prospectively and then more importantly or just as importantly who we're not dealing with showcase that the person isn't who they say they are, um, because that's really what you need in a romance scam. You need to invalidate who that person is, because the moment that you invalidate, this is not John Smith from Idaho talking to your mom or, or you in Texas, the moment you invalidate that, there's a kind of um, rude awakening that you're giving money to somebody that is not who they say they are. So it almost doesn't matter who they are. It matters more importantly who they're not because that relationship is built upon the information given from one person to the next. That money is sent out to that person based upon who they say they are, right? So if they're not who they say they are, then you have that rude awakening of like, oh my gosh, who am I giving money to? Who did I invest my emotions into and my heart into for the last, whatever, six months, 30 days or whatever it may be. So we engage upon that uh, pretty heavily across the globe for various people to identify, you know, who they're really involved with. You talked about romance scams. You talk about actually physical threat scams. When it comes to romance scams or investment scams, I know there are a lot of crypto scams now. You mentioned maybe someone reaches out to you on behalf of their mother. Who else would reach out to you to investigate 
such online financial scams that are trying to get money. It really could be anybody with some kind of vested interest, right? And the easy one is family. Like my mother, I think, is being duped online. My father, I think, is being duped online. My, my sister, whoever it may be. Um, but there's also entities out there. For instance, we are tasked by fortune-based companies for us to engage upon an investment scam where the group of bad actors in illicit operation will get together and say, hey, I'm Joe Blow from you know, company ABC. And it's a legitimate company. It's a company that you and I and everybody else know or a lot of people know about. And they're saying, hey, I'm recruiting on behalf of this company. Are you interested in a job? Yeah, I'm interested in a job. You know, go ahead and fill out this application. Um, and then, you know, they're asking you for money or they're saying, hey, you're um, you're interested in the modeling uh, industry, right? Found your pictures on Instagram. We'd love to have you represent our brand in a swimwear competition or or a fashion industry competition, right? And these people typically eat that up because they're the younger, you know, tw- in their twenties, and they're looking to break into the industry, right? Oh my gosh, this large company, well-known brand, reached out to me and they want to pay me, I don't know, five hundred, you know, thousand dollars to do a gig, right? And they'll say, hey, we'll go ahead and do that, but we're going to send you a check for something like 5,000 or 7,000, something like that, that exceeds the amount due the person, right? The victim. And they say, just keep that amount because you're going to pay the photographer for us when we set this up and so forth like that. We all know where this goes. Uh, the check ends up being uh, in, you know, fraudulent and they take out the money. They give back some money to the company saying, okay, here's the overage or whatever that setup looks like because it varies. Um, and nonetheless, they're left with, Um, the loss of money, and more so they're left with the negative connotation on that brand now because that brand supposedly came into their life through this bad actor to say, hey, we want you, right? And the person, the victim knows that they've been defrauded, but now they think that the company defrauded them or at least a true employee of the company, even if the employee supposedly went rogue, they're still carrying on the name of the, uh, the brand. And that's a brand impact right there. Even if it's not really associated with a brand directly, I think the impact is the association that in their mind with a brand. And, you know, if that happens a lot, then it does create significant impact for the brand itself. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a it's a variance of individuals that come to us, you know, with some kind of vested interest in the situation. So why don't they go to law enforcement uh, to, to, to check out things or to take care, you know, take care of their mother, to take care, to make sure that this is a legitimate job offer. Why do they need to hire a private investigator? So they do. They go to law enforcement a lot of times before they come to us. Not all of them do, but a lot of times before they come to us. Those that don't go to law enforcement before they come to us we say, hey, we can listen to your story and assess how we can assist as much as possible. But first, you need to report this to law enforcement. Um, And we engage with law enforcement fairly routinely. We have contacts with local law enforcement, regional, national, FBI, HSI. um, And we, we try to keep those partnerships strong to engage on whatever agency is relevant at the time when it's needed, right? It's not always needed, but when it's needed. 
So the individuals, for the most part, they do engage the appropriate law enforcement and sometimes they don't engage the appropriate law enforcement. So we educate them. OK, well, you you filed it locally, which is fantastic, but you also might want to follow it with this agency or that agency. Um, so we help with kind of navigating those waters for them to report appropriately. But then they come to us because maybe law enforcement says, hey, we have no leads. Maybe law enforcement says we don't have the resources to dig into something uh, very heavily on the cyber front. Right. Um, maybe law enforcement has ingested their case and they're as far as the victim or our client is concerned, they're engaging upon it, but they're not really sharing information, which I totally understand. Law enforcement traditionally can't share information because they got to keep their own investigation close to their chest. And I, and I completely understand that. Um, but sometimes we can act as another resource to extract information, right? And try to build a dossier on the whole situation kind of at large. And then who knows, maybe we can help unfurl information that law enforcement doesn't have. Now, I'm not going to be so bold as to say we can have, we can get more information than law enforcement. I'm not going to say that, but it's the whole, you know, two pairs of eyes are better than one, right? So we try to help in that regard as much as possible. So I assume that people coming to us acknowledge that and try to uncover as much information on this episode as possible. And then certainly in one case uh, that I showcased at CrimeCon last year in Vegas, um, there was a, a lady that came to us, an adult lady that came to us. Her mother was a victim of a romance scam and the, the mother had dumped out over $300,000 of her own money of her own inheritance from her, her husband who just died earlier that year. And they were together for 40 something years. And he, he gave her a nice nest egg to make sure that she was comfortable for the rest of her life. And, you know, she's just given over $300,000 away to this scammer that she was hell bent on loving and he loves her and they're going to get married. And it's, it's not her fault. I'm not blaming her. Um, unfortunately, this, this well-oiled machine of romance scams is incredibly successful. And I hate saying that every time, but it really is. Um, and she was just another victim of it. So the, the daughter had hired us to build a case on, is this person legit or not? There was a huge assumption that he wasn't, and they just wanted an unbiased uh, third party to look at the matter and then have a conversation with the mother, right? But if the you know, we follow the facts, right? Uh, it's great to have an ins the insight from the client, but we follow the facts. And sometimes that proves the client right, and sometimes it proves the cl client wrong. So nonetheless, we follow the facts in that case. And sure enough, he was being duped, and we helped to engage that matter uh, a little bit more uh, personally, and then with a relay over to our folks at the FBI. Um, so it was a, it's, a, it's a pretty interesting setup, and we try to, like I said, just act as a second or third or whatever number resource to try to shed light on the matter as much as possible. So how do you find the emotional state of someone who you know, goes through this process and then uncovers the fact that it was a scam, it's ongoing for, how do you find her emotional state, her daughter's emotional state, the surroundings of families? So it can be a variance of emotions, right? And I'm, I'm not a psychologist. Um, I do what I do, but I don't, you know, delve into an area that I'm an expert in. So 
but through our experience, we certainly come across a variance of emotions. And what are those emotions? They can be from dismissive, uh, from the client and in this regard, you know, a family member calling us because, hey, my mom, I think is being duped, um, dismissive of that whole relationship, um, dismissive of the mothers in that example of the mother's kind of love, admiration, infatuation, feelings towards that other person versus, hey, let's talk about this is fantastic mom. I'd love to meet the person. It's more dismissive and whatever you say kind of doesn't matter. And that really inflames the person, the victim, because they're like, you don't care about me. You don't care about this person. So any subsequent conversations that you have with that victim are dismissed as well, kind of in turn to your dismissiveness, right? Once you identify that, in fact, this is not the person they claim to be, the scammer. How do these emotions come to play? Yeah, I mean, it, it's anger, right? It's anger from the victim. It's definitely anger from our clients. Um, it's sadness. It's, it's great sadness. It's deceit that they feel. Um, it's a variety of emotions. And unfortunately, none of them are positive. Um, and we try to console as much as possible. And we have resources if it leads to prospectively, hey, this is somebody that you can talk to. And we don't offer a certain person's um, resource or phone number or anything like that. We'll offer a collection of resources, right, um, for people that try to assist others in romance scams and online scams psychologically. Um, so, yeah, we, we try to navigate that as best as possible, but still really fixate on our our focus, our scope, which is the investigators trying to figure out the nooks and crannies of the whole situation and deliver a comprehensive understanding of this, the information based on what we unfurled with our investigation. And you shared a story with me that about a situation where you were able to confirm that the person is not, in fact, who they claim to be in a romance scam. And then there was confrontation with the scammer. Can you share that story with us? Yeah, so that was another one. We've done so many different romance scam investigations, and one of them was this lady had met a guy online. The conversations usually usually start off lightheartedly on whatever social media platform you want to pick. Hey, I want to be your friend. I want to be your connection. Hope you're having a good day. Something like that. Super lighthearted. You assess they're not a threat. You ingest them as your so your social circle online, right? And then they'll start talking to you. Hey, notice you like, I don't know, dogs or notice you lost your husband or your wife recently. I'm sorry to hear. And it's always mirrored. It's always mirrored. You know, I lost my significant other six months ago or, yeah, my dog died recently. It's, it's, it's mirrored to gain a level of familiarity with you and gain a sense of trust on a surface level because it's a very new conversation, right? But it grows quickly from there. And we've all heard the stories, you know, hey, I think you're great. I love your picture. I think you're very beautiful and so forth like that. They don't have a lot of time to invest before they start asking you money for money. But they do invest a decent amount of time because they know that the return can be significant. And taking into consideration the case that I brought up where, you know, our client's mother had dumped you know, over $300,000. If you invested an entire year or a half a year and prospectively your return could be $300,000, is it worth it to you? The big answer is a big yes. 
to that. And these fraudsters, they know that. So they engage in social engineering. They engage in really doing their homework about who you are to, again, mirror who you are and try to gain that level of familiarity. So your guard is let down. And then all of a sudden you look over your shoulder and you're like, oh, I'm talking to this person for the last 30 days. And now they're saying, I love you all of a sudden. Um, so you, you got to be really careful with that. So back to the example, this lady had met a guy and um, he, he followed in the faint, same footsteps, lighthearted conversation growing to, hey, I'm, I'm enamored with you in some regard. And yeah, she was able to convince herself that he loved her. She loved him and he was and he was overseas. He was going to come into the States and they were going to find each other at the airport and just go off and get married. And so we were hired to explore that situation and confirm or deny this person. And we uncovered numerous, numerous online accounts of this person. And we stopped counting at 60, 60 different social media accounts. Yes, 60. And when we threw our hands up, we said, okay, we, we've, we've blown this thing open. He was on various platforms. He never repeated his name. And he was an individual that had this like treasure trove of, of, of photographs of a real person. And that's, that's really valuable to a bad actor because if somebody has so many pictures of themselves scattered across their lives, scattered across times of the day and locations behind them in the background, the bad actor can always put up new pictures. Hey, I'm just walking to the grocery store. Just wanted to say hi to you. Here's a photo of me. Hey, uh, my work sent me out to India when they're supposed to be in Scotland. You know, here's a photo of me. I mean, it's just super valuable if these bad actors can get their hands on an, a person, a real person that might even be narcissistic to have so many pictures of themselves and they can pick whatever image they want for the day. So yeah, we stopped counting it at 60 different profiles. And like I said, this person that they kept pushing photos on kind of struck a medium balance as far as ethnicity goes. The person was olive skin. So they, um, the bad actor called themselves um, Caucasian, Hispanic, Middle Eastern, um, and it really fit the bill of what they were pushing out there. It was an incredible find that we, we uncovered with that, that particular investigation. And when we relate it to the, uh, the clients and the victim, um, there were definitely moments of anger, sadness, and even tears shed on that. I mean, it's a very, very powerful scam. It hits the emotion. And then you mentioned to me that she confronted the scammer, right? Yeah, yeah, she did. And uh, so it, immediately she got really angry and said, okay, I denounced this relationship. I'm killing all my accounts. I'm deleting the emails. I'm deleting the phone numbers and so forth. And she really kind of internalized it. And from what I was told, you know, she was very sad for about a couple of weeks. And then after that, she became very inquisitive. And curiosity really just won her over, right? She felt defrauded and she felt like this person had really just taken advantage of her and just drug her through, dragged her through the ground on her emotions. And uh, she confronted him because she wanted answers. So she contacted him and said, hey, we had somebody scope you out. 
this is who you are. How can you lie to me? I thought you were faithful. I thought we had something. And, <laughs> and, and what he said to her was in a perfect kind of exemplification of us, of these bad actors always being a step ahead of us. And it's very frustrating for me to say that, but that's unfortunately what it is. So she said, hey, I know who you are. I know who you're not. And you've been lying to me all this time. How could you possibly do this? You said you'd fly over, we'd get married and so forth. And this guy said, oh, I'm sorry about that. Um, That was actually my twin brother. When you hear that, you think there's no winning. There's no winning in the context of the situation, right? You can unfurl the information, identify through your investigation it has been successful. You've either identified the person or you've confirmed that they're not who they are, right? Which I told you is, is very, very important. But if they're going to continue to feed the context of the situation that much more, it's, you know, it's, it's very difficult to really sit somebody down. So she, she stayed in touch with him. Yeah, yeah, she did. She bought it uh, and uh, she remained in touch with him. And uh, last I checked, she was still uh, giving him money. Um, Not to the same tune of $300,000, but um, yeah, the relationship, and I'll use air quotes without using my fingers. um, But uh, yeah, the relationship continued and so did the donations to him. So tell me more about how you partner with other parties that have touch points across the scam life cycle, such as banks, maybe law enforcement and others, where does your role end and their responsibility begin? So you can think of it as kind of a puzzle, right? And we're pieces or operators of within that puzzle. You have us, you have law enforcement as another puzzle piece. You have internal investigators elsewhere, in this case, financial institutions, banks, union, uh, you know, credit unions, anything like that, credit card companies. So, you know, we're happy to share our information with whatever other entity wants to help in this kind of larger puzzle, but we have to have the client's permission to do so. So when we flag information or a case or a report to the FBI, first I have to check with my client and make sure that they're okay with me doing so. Because one of the resources is the IC3, um, but we're able to, with our relationships, we're able to assess it and see if we can flag it over to a local law, local law enforcement office, um, whichever agency is kind of fitting to oversee that um, or at least analyze it. So we're happy to partner with anyone if it's a uh, an internal corporate investigator at a bank or anything like that. We'll be happy to share it again with the permission of the client and try to come together as one as much as possible to be as strong as possible on the investigative front of this episode. Um, a lot of times they're not, we're kind of siloed from one another. And I, and I understand, you know, I'm willing to share um, other companies are not because they have their corporate standards and their policies and, and laws that they have to abide to, especially if you're talking about a bank. Uh, hugely restricted with sharing information inside the financial institution. And and I honor that and I want to respect that. Um, So we go ahead and we try to partner with anyone that's willing to listen or be on the receiving end of our report to try to bolster or solidify or confirm their findings. Uh, We don't know everything. So maybe, you know, we can um, kind of give them information to the larger pool of information that they've unfurled on it. 
So it's a larger puzzle, and we're one of the pieces within that puzzle. Collaboration is definitely invited and welcomed as much as possible, but every one of us as an individual kind of puzzle piece to continue that example, um, we have our confines that we have to work within. I have my own laws and ethics uh, and policies that I have to adhere to. One of them, namely, like I said, I have to make sure that I have the approval of our client. Um, but we're more than happy to partner up with anyone as much as possible. So if I take the puzzle analogy, who's responsible for putting the puzzle together? Well, it depends on what the puzzle is, and I don't want to get too granular with you, but um, I don't want to split hairs. But if the puzzle is being assembled by the client, it, it, it's essentially really the true category is the victim, right? The client in our case, but the victim. Um, if that person's assembling the puzzle, then they would want to incorporate law enforcement. They might want to incorporate us. They'd want to contact their financial institution. They'd want to contact the social media platform that this originated on, because we all know that it starts with social media platforms a lot of times, right? Um, yes. So, and then you've got, you know, so that's the episode right there immediately. But then you've got the larger picture of the puzzle, which then that one case becomes a piece of that puzzle, right? And then another case becomes a piece of that puzzle. And then whoever is looking at, prospectively legislatures, um, they're looking at to assemble some comprehensive legislature that is, is going to be impactful and helpful to all of us. And I say all of us as a community of people, right? Because I'm, you know, I could be duped by a romance scam. I, I can't because I'm married, but, you know, I, you know, I could be duped, right? But a different scam, an investment scam. So, you know, I, I mean, cyber investigative specialists, lawyers, doctors, all have been duped. Not all of them, but all within that category. Um, Everybody, everyone can get scammed. It's not someone who has a disability. It's yeah, 100%. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It's, it's being charged emotionally in the situation. And when that happens, your intellect goes out the window. Um, so, yeah, it depends on who's assembling that that puzzle, um, you know, as far as who's really charged with amalgamating the pieces or, or collecting the pieces together to understand the kind of larger landscape of the impact of these romance scams. And so in your opinion, what needs to be done to drive real change here? We talked about a few issues, right? We talked about the fact that people reach out to you because they don't get enough help or they don't know what to do. I think that's another problem. They just don't know how to navigate law enforcement, asking, getting recovery, getting the emotional help. What needs to happen to drive real change in this scam landscape? So that's a hard one to answer because you have people on one side that say are, are quick to point a finger to social media you know, and pick your platform. Right. And then you have social media saying, hey, we're just a platform if we do what you say, excuse me, if we do what you want us to do, what you're saying you want us to do, we might be confining speech, right? And that's a big no-no. So at least here in the States. So I see both sides. Legislature, you know, is, is it's, it's difficult to put something together with teeth that really have a full impact on this this really, really grow, significantly growing scam. So I think all players have a piece in identifying the most impactful um, 
outcome for this. I don't think romance scams are ever going to go away. Fraud in general is never going to go away. And that's rough, um, but it is what it is. And um, I think the best thing that we can do is position ourselves to have open conversations with social media platforms, have open conversations with law enforcement, have open conversations with legislators to say, okay, this is our kind of brainstorming session. Let us know what you think and assemble the pieces together as much as possible. Because a lot of times we're all working in silos and we all have these grandiose ideas to say, hey, it's social media. Hey, it's not social media. It's legislature. Hey, it's it's law enforcement. They don't have the resources. You know, and it's it's easy to do that. But you have to consider the other the other side of the coin. And when you do consider that, you have to really kind of position yourself as successfully as possible. And in my opinion, it's by bringing all the heads to the table and saying, "Okay, how can we do this? Now, that's the easy part. Right. The hard part is convincing all the head players to come to that table in the first place. Legislation legislation can be very, very powerful, but only if it has teeth, only if it says, hey, if you don't do this, this is going to happen to you. And it has to be significant. I mean, if you're talking about engaging the social media platforms and you're installing a $100,000 fine, good luck, right? It has to be impactful. It has to have teeth and it has to show um, movement in the cause that we're trying to get some uh, movement on because these numbers are significantly rising, not only the frequency of occurrences across the globe, but the dollar amounts on a per occurrence basis. In the past, we've seen like hundreds of dollars. And now with investment scams, we see hundreds and thousands of dollars up to millions of dollars being lost by victims. So that's an example of growth in, in the monetary losses. Um, it's becoming astronomical. It, it is astronomical in my personal opinion. And it's a global impact. I mean, we've unfurled literal kind of networking resources from one bad actor to the next saying, hey, this is a script that you can literally copy and paste into your communication with your victim. They call them clients um, to get them to send you money within 30 days. And we've unfurled a large repository of these hyperlinks saying literally they're they're um, titled something like how to get a, a Caucasian male to send you a Caucasian male in the U.S. to send you three thousand dollars in 60 days, something like that. And you click on it and you've got basically a step by step guide on how to do that. So these these fraudsters, these bad actors, they're really well resourced. They've identified that, hey, I can benefit myself so much more if I'm part of this net underground network. And unfortunately, it's it's very successful and um, it's 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 terribly damaging. Right. And uh, today with ChatGPT, you really don't even need those manuals. You can really tailor the conversation according to whatever the person on the other side is saying, which makes it all more frightening. And, and um, we'll see how things go with that. It's it's yeah. Technology is fantastic when it works. It's detrimental when the bad people have it and use it against us. Yeah. One last question, and I wanted to end this conversation on a positive note. What are you hopeful about with what you're seeing in recent days with regards to scams, and and what are you hopeful about in this ecosystem? 
So I'm hopeful because of the new year and like everyone else, when you change the calendar, you're like, hey, a fresh page. Let's see what we can do. Right. And collectively, I'm hopeful at the partnerships that we forge with law enforcement, with advocates like yourself and other um, organizations and entities out there to try to come together and build as great a resource for education for everybody as much as possible, because, you know, and I know that once somebody falls victim to romance scams and even on the front end, it might be very much too late. Um, you have to really award yourself with the education on how to spot a romance scam, how to spot red flags for it. And then hopefully if you find yourself involved in a situation like that, you'll have kind of a, 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 a voice in your head saying, Hey, I remember hearing that from Chris or from IELTS um, podcast, right. Or reading about this from the FBI's website or something like that. Because unfortunately when they're really, like I said, entrenched in the situation, it's too, it's too late because it doesn't matter how many degrees you have on your wall. It doesn't matter how street smart you are. You are emotionally invested in it. And when that happens, all that intellect, all that wisdom goes out the window. We've come across cases where the clients, the victims say to us, Chris, I knew something didn't jive. I knew something didn't make sense when I was in this. I just, I just kept going because I wanted to believe. I lost my husband. I lost my wife. I wanted to believe, right? And that's emotions and you can't do much to check that after they're really deployed into the situation. So the best thing that we can do is stand up this really strong repository, this really strong um, kind of movement on education on these types of romance scams and how to mitigate, how to prevent as much as possible. Great. So Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to keep current with the latest news on online scams, follow me on LinkedIn, Ayelet Bigger Levine. Have a wonderful week.